James chapter 3, verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 6. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The word of the Lord. John 14, 1 through 11. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Father in heaven, as we come now uh, to consider uh, your word, this reading, uh, these uh, sayings of Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, um, we ask that you would be among us, that this would be more than, not less than an intellectual exercise, but more than it, uh, and that you would speak to us and that you would teach us, and that um, in particular, I pray that you will impart, like give us, the faith, trust, belief that you desire uh, for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, one of our deep convictions here at Emmanuel uh, is, and, and hopefully if you've been around for a little while, this won't be surprising to you. Um, uh, one of our deep convictions is that when we read the Bible every week, these, these readings that we have, 
we read it with a big audacious expectation. And the big audacious expectation that we have as we read these, uh, the Bible is that God will speak to us. Uh, and in particular, uh, we have a big audacious expectation that Jesus, in particular, will uh, lead us as a church, uh, teach us, change us through what we learn in these readings. And so we come with these high expectations. And this autumn, uh, what we're doing is we're uh, reading through a portion of the Gospel of John. That last reading is, is from uh, John chapter 14. And we're asking the question, what sort of culture, Jesus, do you want for us here at Emmanuel Church? Uh, what, uh, part of what that means is we want to be a church culture that is decidedly and deeply Jesus-shaped. And therefore, each week we're asking the question, Jesus, help us see what that culture looks like and embody it. Now, this week, um, this reading, what I want to show you is this reading uh, answers that question by, in, in this way. Jesus wants us, here at Emmanuel, to be a culture of trust. Uh, in our text, whenever it says belief or faith or trust, those are very closely related in, uh, in, in the Bible. And what, what Jesus, according to this text, wants his people to be is he wants us to be a culture where our uh, trust and faith and belief in him is deeper than our anxieties, fears, doubts. Now, he, look, let me show you where I get that from. Take a look at verse 1 there. Um, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, implied, rather believe or trust in God. Believe or trust also in me. Now, context here. We're parachuting, if you haven't been with us, we're parachuting right into uh, one of the most emotionally charged settings in the whole life of Jesus and of his disciples. Uh, they, they are, uh, Jesus and his disciples are sitting at dinner, probably reclining. Jesus is hours away from his death. And just a few paragraphs before this, uh, Jesus has broken the news to his disciples that there's a traitor among them, that one of them, Judas, is going to uh, be involved in the plot to kill Jesus. And their shockwaves just go through the room. And then, as if that wasn't enough, he singles out Peter and he says, Peter, you, you're not part of the plot to kill me, but you are going to deny me three, hour, or three times in the next few hours. And as that settled in the room, it was as if just the, the disciples' world was starting to collapse. Because what it meant is that every single person in that room, Jesus included, was facing the worst tragedy that they could imagine. It was coming like a freight train in the next few hours. And in that, you know, you could cut the tension with a knife. In that moment, Jesus looks at them, and I expect his voice was full of emotion because he had just told them also a couple paragraphs before that his heart was filled with troubles and grief. Jesus looks at them, his heart, his voice full of emotion, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What? Believe in me, trust in God. And my question, my question is why, Jesus, 
Why should he say that to them in that moment? Why should the disciples trust him when they're facing some of the worst trauma of their lives? And for us, why should we? Uh, Not let our hearts be troubled, but trust in God. In the midst of our troubles, are you in troubles? If you're not, give it time. All right. Here's what I want to show you in this reading. Why should we trust Jesus? We should trust Jesus more than our deepest anxieties because, here it is, it's going to sound weird, because he has given everything to us. What does that mean? Well, let me show you three examples, three ways Jesus has given everything that he has to us from this reading. I'm going to go through them. Here's the first one. According to this reading, Jesus has given us his own home. Therefore, we should trust him. Take a look at verse 1. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Instead, believe in God, trust in me also, and then keep going. He gives some reasons. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Implied, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now, do you see why it is that I say Jesus has given us his home? Just think about it. He is about to die and suffer terribly. He knows it's coming. His disciples are going to suffer as they watch it unfold. And right in the middle of this, Jesus is concerned for their souls and their, he wants to comfort them. And he comforts them by looking at them and he says, now, I'm going to tell you something important, disciples. From all eternity past, it's as if Jesus says, disciples, from all eternity past, I have had a home. And it's a home with God as my father. And then Jesus says, but I want you guys to join me. I know you're all going to abandon me in a few minutes, but I want you to join me. I want to give you my home. And I am going to do everything necessary. Precisely when all of you have abandoned me and you see me dying up upon the cross, in that moment, what I want you to interpret that to mean is that I am doing everything necessary to give you an eternal home. That's fairly good hospitality, don't you think? Um, I, uh, uh, it was 20 years ago. I, I'm, I'm old enough to tell stories that are 20 years ago. Wow. Anyways... 20 years ago, I, I was studying in Jerusalem, and uh, one day, uh, a group of us were in the West Bank, and um, w- w- one, of our, w- one of our friends uh, lost her passport, and, uh, and we, th- we thought we'd never get it back, and it was all terrible, um, and then, a couple days later, somebody phoned us at the school where we were studying in Jerusalem and said um, that they had found uh, this passport, come to the house and pick it up, so... A bunch of us all went with her back to the, uh, this town in the West Bank and um, found the house and went to pick up the passport. But when they opened the door, they said, no, 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 no. We're not just going to give you the passport and have you go away. You got to come in. And, um, and, we, and we were a little, it felt a little awkward. Um, and then we did. And, and they made us sit down and they made a feast for us, just a huge feast for us. And... They just wanted us to stay for a long time and hang out. And so we ended up uh, spending most of the day in this house just feasting with, this, with these people. It was wonderful. And then they gave the passport and we went home. Now, the funny thing was at the beginning of the meal, 
Everybody was awkward. And we didn't trust them. Honestly, we didn't trust. However, as the meal went forward, there was something about hospitality that turned our hearts in the middle of it. And then all of a sudden, by the end, we're laughing and joking around and having a great time. There's something about hospitality that earns trust. Now, no one shows hospitality like Jesus. My home, Jesus says, is with my Father in heaven. And it's a big house, plenty of room. And Jesus looks at his disciples, including Peter, and, all, and says, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to prepare a house that's what my death upon the cross is going to mean. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to get you. And we're gonna, you're going to spend eternity in, the, in my home with me. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my home. Now, friends, a certain and confident hope of heaven... The fact that Jesus gives the disciples his own home, that revolutionized how the disciples dealt with fear. A lot of Christians today don't think that the hope of heaven really matters that much. And if that's what you think, forgive me, you're wrong. Have you ever thought about how the disciples transform, how they change? So right now, and most of uh, through the Gospels, you look at the disciples and they're, they're scared, timid, mildly cowardly. They're always getting it wrong. But then, after Jesus' resurrection, they are different. They're bold, they're courageous, they're confident, and almost all of them walk willingly into suffering many times over the course of the rest of their life. What explains that change? I don't know about you, but I would love to be liberated from fear, timidity, cowardice. I battle anxiety all the time. Ask Amber. My wife. What explains the disciples' change? And part of the answer is that they knew from this point forward that they had a home, at least from the resurrection onward. And they, because they knew that they had a forever home, when they were going through difficulty, they could stop, uh, zoom out, imagine the camera angle zooming out, and they could take a wide-angle look over the course of their eternity, and they could see the particular suffering that they were going through, grim, intense, real as it is. They could see it within the context of their larger eternity, and they could know that Jesus had prepared a place for them, that they were going home, and therefore they could look at difficulty, suffering, and they could say, as Real as you are, as painful and grievous as this is, it does not finally tell me who I am. It does not finally fill out my story. I know that I am homebound. Jesus Christ has prepared a place for me, and he's going to take me home. And my Lord prepared that home by walking into suffering and through suffering and out to glory the other way, and that is going to be my path as well. And therefore, I walk with confidence. Let me ask you a question. Emmanuel, how vivid is your hope for heaven? The bigger your view of Jesus' generosity in sharing his own home with you, the more courage you will have to trust him in the midst of the troubles. Trust him because Jesus has given everything to you. He's given you his own house. Number one. Number two, 
Here's the second thing. Jesus has given us his father. Um, let me ask you a question. What, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about God? Think about that for a little while. We all have, all of us have different ideas, right? We, we have ideas, preferences, expectations, who we think God should be if we were God, things like that. And here's the thing. The, the, one of the difficulties is this question. How, the obvious question is, how do we know that, that our view of God is accurate, right? That's an obvious question. Another question that's not as obvious but really important is this. How do you know that you can trust your imaginary idea of God... And how do you know you can trust your imaginary idea of God when life gets real and heavy and difficult? Can you really trust your own idea of God? And everybody who believes in God wants to know, is their idea of God accurate? Look at verse 8. So Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, Jesus starts talking about the Father, and Jesus gets excited, and he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough. It, meaning, Jesus, we want to know who God really is. We want to see who God really is. We want to know the truth, not our conjecture about God, not uh, hearsay about who God is, but Philip says, Jesus, I, I want to see who God, the truth of who God really is. Now, watch Jesus' reaction in verse 9. Jesus says to him, have you been with me so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, it's weird language, but Jesus is saying, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. A little bit later, Jesus will say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Now, what does all that mean? Well, here's part of what it means. Jesus is God's full disclosure. Stay with me here, just, just for a minute. It's not just that Jesus says true things about God. Jesus does say true things about God, but it's more than that. It's that Jesus is so united to the Father that to see Jesus is to see the Father. It's that Jesus is God who has showed up so that we can look at him and see who he really is and be freed from our conjecture about him. And here's part of why that's such a big deal. Um, if you want to trust somebody, you, don't just listen to what they say. You've got to see what they do, right? Um, if somebody talks a good talk, but they, their actions don't bear out what it is that they say, then you must not trust that person. And when it comes to God, we need more than just good theory about God. We need to be able to see clearly what it is that God does. Or to think a little bit differently, um, we need more than just our ideas about who God might be. We need to be able to see clearly what it is that God does and what it is that God says. Now, look at verse 10. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak by my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Do you notice how there's, there's, there's words and there's works? What he says and what he does. Verse 11, believe me that, when I, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else at least be, believe on account of the works themselves. Here's the point. Jesus gives everything that he is to us. He gives us his home. He also gives us his Father. 
Jesus is a tell-all on God. So that when you look at Jesus, you listen to what he says, and you watch what it is that he does, that's when you see God pristinely. And that's, this is crucial, that's when you will see how trustworthy God is. This is crucial, again, to the disciples' transformation. Because Philip, who asked the question, and Peter, who's sitting there, having a crisis, the, all the rest of them, they're just like us, right? They had uh, ideas about God. They're probably partially right about God on some things and partially wrong about God on other things. But the problem is when the chips are down and they were about ready to be down and when the stress goes high, they couldn't always be sure that the God of their imagination could really be trusted. That's part of why Peter, a few hours later, he just cracks, he goes to pieces partially because the God in his imagination, his understanding of who God was, just wasn't robust enough for him to trust that God when he was being, when he was frightened and fearful in the midst of Jesus' uh, 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 trial, and he just, he denies Jesus. But here's where everything changes for the disciples, because after Jesus' resurrection, again, Here's what they did from that, from that point onward. After Jesus' resurrection, what they did is they looked at Jesus. And in particular, they looked at what Jesus did upon the cross. And they listened to what it is that Jesus had told them. And then what they did is they took their imaginary ideas about God and they just allowed Jesus to smash them to pieces until all they had left was the face of Christ. And for the rest of their lives, when they looked at Jesus Christ, they looked into the eyes of somebody that they knew that they could trust. They looked into the eyes of the Father that they could trust. Usually, tell-all books uh, tear down the credibility of the leader they describe, right? Jesus is a tell-all book that does the opposite. Jesus is the tell-all book that proves that God is fundamentally trustworthy. And that's why I ask Emmanuel, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about God? And in particular, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about God when you are in the midst of the troubles? Here, let me give you some advice. In those times where you're not sure that you can really trust God, do this. Take your ideas about God, your suspicions, your preferences, your hopes. Take all of that. And just set it down for a second, come back to it in a minute, and then spend your time looking at Jesus. For instance, take the creed that we're about ready to recite and go line by line thinking about who Jesus is. Or take one of the gospel stories and read it through and think about it. Look at Jesus, not just your ideas about Jesus, but look at Jesus as he presents himself in scripture. And then as Jesus becomes more and more in focus and clear, let your mind be filled with Jesus until he is the only view of God that you can see anymore. And that's when you'll be looking into the eyes of a God whom you can trust. Jesus has given us everything. That's why we trust him. He's given us his own home. He's also showed us pristinely who his father is. And then there's one last gift. Jesus has given us the joy of his own family. Let me show you where I get that from. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, 
is the summary of this whole passage. Jesus says, I am the way, that is, the way to the Father's house. I am the truth, meaning full disclosure of who God is. And thirdly, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now focus on that last thing. Jesus is the life. What does he mean by the life? Well, when Jesus says, I am the life, he means he's the life of God. It means that he gives us his own life. Jim, that's totally vague. Okay. Here's the best way I know to describe it. Life in this context means the joy of Jesus' own family. Why do I say that? A few chapters later, in uh, chapter 17, Jesus uh, defines life. And he says, life is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ. It's more than just information about God. It's, a, it's an intimacy with God as our Father. In, in that same chapter, Jesus prays and he says, Father, I want you to pour out your love and affection upon my disciples just like you love me. The same love. Jesus shares everything that he has. Even the love of his Father. He shares it with us. And when you begin to taste that love, you're beginning to taste life. Emmanuel, Jesus wants us to be a culture of trust. Don't let your heart be troubled. Rather, believe in God, trust in Jesus. Why? Why should we trust him? Because he's given us everything. He's given us his home. He's the way. He's given us full disclosure of the Father. He's the truth. But even better, and it always gets more intimate, the closer we get, Jesus has given us the very joy of being loved by his Father. And here's how that helps in the times of trouble. The disciples, after Jesus' resurrection, they spent the rest of their life walking into adversity. They didn't have easy lives. Did you think they did? Of course they didn't. Most of them died violently. But there's an undercurrent of joy in the midst of their difficulty. Why? They walked through difficulty knowing that Jesus' top priority for them would be that they would grow closer and closer to God in intimacy, in love, even in the broken-hearted joy that is so often the experience of Jesus' people. And they also knew that as Jesus led them deeper into that life, through the tears, through the pain, they knew that as Jesus and his love and the Father's affection became clearer and clearer, they knew that in that moment they were already tasting in advance the joy of heaven. They were already getting used to their new home. Jesus wants us to be a culture of trust. Why do we trust him? Why trust him when it's terrible? Because he gave everything for us. And if you ever meet somebody who gives everything that they have to you and does it selflessly, truly, not as a ploy, that's somebody that you can trust. And I don't know any other view of God that has given so much for you. I don't know any other view of God that has given his own life on the cross so that he could give you his life for forever. And that's why there's no one else that will lead us to the Father and therefore, Emmanuel, do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in Christ. And trust in God by trusting in Christ. 
Wherever you're at, if you're a Christian, this is the frontier of growth. And if you find yourself saying, yes, but none of this addresses the pain that I'm feeling right now, then I say, I know. I I, I don't, actually, but I hear that. Look at Jesus. Look at him on the cross. Let him pour out his love and affection for you as you hang there with him upon the cross. And I don't know how it'll all play out, but I do know that over the course of time, you will see and you'll be able to say, Jesus Christ was faithful. And if you're not a Christian today, become one. Trust him. You're not going to find anybody more worthy of your trust. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmanuel Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Jim Saladin, the minister here. At Emmanuel, we seek to see, describe, and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City and ultimately the world. We rely on the generous giving of people like you. Consider supporting our ministries at www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.